So if for a few of you that was your first 45 minutes set, you are to be congratulated. And you made it. For all of us who have sat many 45 minute sets, we are to be congratulated (laughs) because we made it. (laughs) There's been more than one sitting when I've gotten to the end of it and that's about what I've been able to say as I stayed, I didn't get up and run screaming out of the hall but I learned over time that there actually is some value to just staying there no matter what that served me well in other parts of my life so I wanted to talk tonight a little bit about um, befriending ourselves we often talk about spiritual friendship in these groups and about metta practice and one of the most important areas of friendship actually is that which we have for ourselves which for some of us is kind of a remarkable idea that we can actually meet our own being with friendliness and kindness There's a wonderful story that I think probably many of you know about the Dalai Lama at a conference with a group of Western um, psychologists and other people, and the whole issue of self-esteem came up. And he was really puzzled. What was this self-esteem issue? And so they explained that here in the West, it's a very big issue, and many people don't have very much of it. And he couldn't believe it. I was like, how could this possibly, how could you not hold yourself with the utmost kindness and friendliness and care and concern? So he's learned since then that um, it is indeed possible to not have such great self-esteem and not to be so careful of ourselves. And it's a really important area in our practice. So, So we all know, you know, we can't, we can't really do this alone, right? That's partly why you're here tonight. We, we need each other. It's really, it always makes me feel good to sit down with a group of people. And sometimes even when my mind is really scattered, you know, I think, oh, you know, Margie's right there. She must be sitting really hard because I can feel this energy tonight. Or somebody else, you know, Jill or Sue or Isabel or somebody. And, and so I feel the energy of the group kind of holding me and supporting my practice. And um, there's even a wonderful line in one of the Buddhist chants that says, the Sangha, so that's us, is my supreme support. So look around, folks. We are each other's supreme support. You know, that's pretty cool to, to really think about that. And, um, but when we do loving-kindness practice as a formal practice, metta practice, one of the first places that we direct it is towards ourselves. And we need our own support, don't we? I mean, if you're not supporting yourself, then um, there's a way in which it just doesn't work so well. One of the things I always notice when I'm on retreat, you know, you go and you take the precepts the first night, so you agree that you're not going to talk. No social conversation. You can talk to your teacher. There's a little bit of stuff that has to happen around your work meditation. You can do that. But other than that, you're not talking. 
So guess who I talk to? Right? We all know that, right? <laughs> I discover I'm walking around having these conversations with myself. And sometimes sometimes they're the kind of thing that happened on the cushion where the mind drifts off. But sometimes it's, well, what shall I do now? You know, should I go back to my room or should I go down to the dining hall? Or should I do walking practice? And I'm having to see, yes, I should, no, I shouldn't. I'm thinking, oh, this is not so good, you know. I'm, I'm having this whole conversation um, um, by myself. And I think it's pretty, I mean, I imagine it's common for all of you, right, that you all talk to yourselves, at least some. And so at one retreat a while back, um, Trudy Goodman, who is a, a Vipassana teacher who was a Zen teacher, or maybe she is a Zen teacher and she is a Vipassana teacher. That would be sort of like a koan, so maybe she's doing that. And so she was teaching a koan. And um, and in the koan, um, um, one of the um, teachers is addresses himself, and he says, Are you awake? Are you awake? And, you know, Master, are you awake? So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I'll try that. See what happens if I, if I just begin every now and then to say to myself, Mary Grace, are you awake? Hmm. Now, in some senses, we know that the you isn't what wakes up, but we're not going there tonight because it's really, it's really useful just on a sort of everyday level of, are you awake? You know? And... And we can ask ourselves that, and we do. Many of you probably do have some version of that question. One, one way that I used to ask it, it seemed a long ways away at the time, but I used to imagine myself at 85. It doesn't seem so far away now. <laughs> but, you know, so Mary Grace at 85, and I would say, okay, what should I do? And often, Mary Grace at 85 had some rather interesting ideas about what I should or shouldn't do that didn't, that were sometimes a great deal more liberated than where I felt bound by habit or parents or rules or whatever. And, you know, at 85 has a slightly different perspective. So it was a really wonderfully liberating thing to just say, you know, what, you know, should I go on this trip? You know, it's cost a lot of money and, I don't know whether an um, 85-year-old says, go for it, <laughs> do it. And so, so there's a way that we can begin really to befriend ourselves, to really to ask ourselves important questions and to get in touch sometimes with the wisdom that's already there, that each one of us has inside of ourselves. You can, you can listen to, to this inner friend, but you have to listen. You know, that is, of course the operative um, word. And um, in the teachings about spiritual friendships, you know, the Buddha um, describes them as relationships that lead away from suffering and towards peace and contentment. And so in, in working with ourselves, what we're listening for is the voice that leads away from suffering and towards peace and contentment. And it's interesting, this can only be known in the present moment. You know, Ajahn Sumedho likes to say, now is the knowing. 
he could as easily reverse it and say the knowing is now. It's a very interesting statement. So this knowing is only something that you can find now. There was a group that I worked with a number of years ago um, that was not a Buddhist group, you'll get that in just a sec, and who had this saying, the will of God known ahead of time is not the will of God. Which is a wonderful statement. The will of God known ahead of time is not the will of God. Now leave the God part out if you want, but it's really pointing towards this awakening mind can only be known in the present moment. It can't be known. You can't know ahead of time. You can't know for next week. And the past is gone. So all you know is right here in this very moment. And um, I had another little saying that I was going to give to you tonight and I have to see if I can remember it. Um, that there are only there are three things that come um, this actually comes from a Jewish mystical tradition the three things that come at very unexpected moments one is the mind of awakening one is finding a lost article and the third is a scorpion <laughs> so if you take them let's take them in reverse order you know you got to be alert if there's scorpions around right and if any of you've ever lived in a part of the world where there's scorpions you have to empty out your shoes and you have to be careful that they don't come in and they're kind of speedy little creatures and they race around and they snap their little tails and some of them can cause a great deal of suffering and if you're not paying attention you can create some suffering for yourself and it's unexpected you can't plan for the scorpion to be there and of course we all know how it is I mean how many times a day do we look for our glasses or our car keys Uh or the thing that's lost and and you never find it on schedule, you know. There's, and there's that way that you have to be very, very alert, and to to the situation and to your surroundings in order to find it. And the awakened mind comes at very unexpected moments, and it's not something like you can't decide. Okay, I'm going to get enlightened. I'm going to wake up. <laughs> I'm going to go to the beginners class. Okay, done that. And then I'm going to go to ten sittings, so here's number one. And I'm going to do a couple of weekend retreats, and maybe I'll read three Dharma books, and then I'll sit a ten-day retreat, and then I'll wake up. Wouldn't it be nice? You know, it'd be great if that would happen. But it doesn't happen that way. And so it happens at very unexpected moments. There's a tradition, actually, that there are many moments of awakening that happen in dining halls at retreat. Isn't that wonderful? They don't happen on the cushion. They happen in the dining hall with the people clunking around and silverware and dishes and, you know, the sound of the hot water machine and all of those things. And often there's something about all of that movement and all the magnetic filings kind of come together, you know, and make a pattern and you see something. Wonderful. But if you're not paying attention, you don't see it. You know, so you have to pay attention. That's that place, that's a, a really a wonderful way to befriend yourself, is to begin to pay that kind of attention, to begin to listen inwardly, outwardly, all the many ways that we listen. What is the wise and skillful thing to do at any moment? 
And in part of the koan that Trudy taught, it, um, one of the um, things that said is not to be deceived by others, you know, at any time. And so often we don't, we listen to others, don't we? You know, we listen to what someone else says, to what the expert says, to what mom said or dad said or Sister Ignatius or your partner, or whatever, but we're not listening to that really deep place in ourselves that, that knows often what we need, what is right. And, you know, I mean, how many times do you wonder, you know, what are they going to think? What are they going to think? And that that informs what your decision is. What are they going to think? Well, maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm giving this talk just for me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I, I ran into a student once who um, went, told me, was telling me about a particular practice that she was doing, and she went to one teacher who said, you know, you're doing it all wrong. You shouldn't be doing it that way. You should do it this way. And, gave and she went to another teacher who said, perfect. You're doing it just right. Which teacher was right? You know, which teacher, how do you sort that out? Which teacher is right? And that can be found easily, probably right here at Vipassana Santa Cruz. If you had all of us who teach here lined up, giving instructions, do this or do that with the breath or the body or the states of the mind and the heart, do mental noting, don't do mental noting, walk this way, walk that way, you'd have different sets of instructions. Who's right? Who's right? And really the interesting question is, what helps you to move toward an ending of suffering, towards the opening of wisdom and compassion, towards deep contentment in the present moment. You know, not not to be deceived by others, not by others' judgments or comparisons or commentaries. So awakening isn't, it's just not something that you're going to earn. You know, you can't put yourself through a course and then at the end of the course... It's like, you know, CEUs, you know. <laughs> we give you a little certificate that says, okay, you've done it. Um, it's, it's the awakening, I think, is actually a place. It's more of a geography. It's a place that we can find in any given moment. And in order to do that, you really have to pay attention to your own inner experience. You have to know. And so... I mean, we talk sometimes about realization, you know, what somebody has realized. <laughs> realized. Well, so what's real? You know, what have they made real? And, and the, the, we could look at, is it finding that place that's awake and making it real in your everyday life, making it fully present as much as possible in any situation. It's inherent in your being. It's there. It's there. You may not think it's there, but it's there. There's some, and and you all know it. Some, you know. We've been talking in the committed students group about Jack Cornfield's new new book called The Wise Heart, which is a wonderful book. I totally recommend it. And okay, you ready? He says we are all Buddha nature with a zip code. <laughs> you are each Buddha nature with your zip code. Where so you are this uh, that is the awake place that maybe you know something about and maybe you don't and then you are the specificity that is you your name your address your job your likes and dislikes your zip code 
both of them are true and, and both are incredibly important in our being and we know a lot about the zip code part you know most of you could tell me we could talk for hours about our zip codes but we don't always know so much about that place in ourselves that's awake and wise and deep and we don't it's not that you're going to talk about it a whole lot maybe I don't think that that's even so wise always but to even know that it's there is really wonderful to begin to understand that you have that awake place there so another Zen story just to add to the interest Um, so there was a monk who was in the monastery and he sat 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 he sat a lot probably in our world he'd be sitting lots and lots and lots of retreats and that kind of thing and and he, he really wanted to become a Buddha I wanted to wake up and his teacher sat down with him one day and and he picked up, you know, just a plain old piece of tile from the floor, and he began, he picked up a cloth, and he began to polish the tile. Rubbed and rubbed and rubbed and rubbed and rubbed and rubbed and rubbed. So finally, the monk said, what are you doing? I guess you're allowed to ask your teacher that once in a while. What are you doing? <laughs> and the teacher said, I want to make it into a jewel. He's rubbing the tile, rubbing the tile. You can imagine, well, he wasn't making a lot of progress. And the monk said, well, how is it that possible? And the teacher said, well, how is it possible to become a Buddha by sitting? So, you know, this is really pointing toward there's something that's, that is in our being, that's inherent, it's in your ordinary mind. It's nothing special. It's not some exalted place that you're going to get to. And yet, of course, it's also the deepest, wisest, kindest, most compassionate place that there is in our being. So, so to keep listening, to keep asking those questions, to keep trying to hear it in ourselves. What is it that knows? What is the wisest, kindest, most skillful thing I can do in this moment? That's an easy question. We can all ask that. You know, what's in a few minutes? You know, we're going to have tea. You're going to be milling around, talking to people, meeting people for the first time. How can you do such a simple thing, and and do it really skillfully and out of kindness and compassion? In a little bit, I'm going to say, can a few people stay and help clean up at the end of the tea? You know, so what's the skillful response? You know? And for some of you it may be, you know, I'm a bit sick, I need to go home and go to bed. And that's really the wisest response. And you need to listen to that voice and not stay here if even if some piece says, Oh, I should, you know, I ought to. And some of the rest of you would go say, Oh, you know, nine o'clock, there's something on the comedy channel, I'd really like to get there. Who wants to stay and help clean up? And for you, it might be the wisest and kindest thing to stay here. And there's probably all kinds of ranges of things in between. And so this, the question, it sounds big when we start talking about Buddha nature and being a Buddha and all of that, but it's also extraordinarily practical and something that we can work with in very infinitesimal ways in our everyday life.
So to do this, you know, to listen, to take the time to see what we can find of that place in our own being that knows deeply, that sees clearly. This is a deep act of friendship for yourself. It's a very important act of friendship for yourself to be able to do that because it will, in the end, serve you very, very well. It's not that there's not ups and downs, but coming to that place of really listening to the voice of wisdom and compassion, um, I mean, perhaps perhaps that's the point. Perhaps that's what we're doing here. Perhaps that's all that we could ever want. Rumi says, one who does what the friend wants, that's his word for this, but the one who does what the friend wants, what one sorry, what who does what the friend wants done will never need a friend. You know, so there's a way in which this is perhaps maybe one of the most important friendships you can have is the one that you have with yourself and where you listen to your own wisdom and take care of yourself. And we know that when we're around people who are in touch with their own wisdom and who are in touch with the present moment, you know, that this is often very, very helpful. It's really amazing to be around somebody who's that way. And their knowing is often very contagious, I think, of some of the really great teachers that I've been able to spend time with. And, you know, you have a sense that their wisdom is there for themselves and then it, it, it really expands outward from them and, and is transmitted to the rest of them, to the rest of us. And so, um, really then, I guess, one could say that this act of befriending ourselves and, and more and more listening to that voice of inner, inner wisdom, more and more finding the awakeness that is there in every moment, the freedom that is there in every moment, is then not only befriending ourselves, but an act of friendship to all other beings as well. So I think I'll stop there and see if there's any questions or comments, and we'll continue the talk a little bit, and we'll have a few announcements, and then then you can have your cookies. Make sense? Questions, please. Yes. There's an interesting, <clears throat> interesting tension for me that always comes up between between the doing and the not doing, in a sense that um, you know, as long as you think that becoming a Buddha is something that you have to become, it's something that's out there, forget right. it, will never happen. Yet, on the other hand, uh, there's a number of things that we always do to plant the seeds in order to to bring about happiness, um, which I guess we call practice. And so it's always kind of an interesting dance to do between. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it means you get to sit around and eat chocolates and watch the comedy channels. (laughs) I mean, that's a fine thing to do some, but there is work to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And so uncovering this place, even if it's just the beginnings of it, is 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 to be made real, is to be realized. But there's a way to do the work in a way that's fun and kind. Yeah, mostly Which fun. Is, 
<laughs> sometimes it's sometimes I think I think there are moments that are tough. Mm-hmm. I do. I don't know that I would describe them as fun. But you know. But when you but you know, that's like if I think of something like backpacking, which is one of the things I love to do, there are moments that are tough. There are moments when I'm <clears> out there slogging up some trail with some pack on my back thinking, what did I ever think I was doing? I'm too old, I'm tired, you know, all of that stuff. This is impossible. Who brought me here? <laughs> Give me like the last five minutes of the 45 minutes. Yeah, for example, or day four on a retreat or something like that when it really just gets hard. And, and, and in, in fact, it's in the literature. There are places that are actually very important places often in the waking up process where every bone in your body says, I want to go home and quit. So the, the, so it's all attention, isn't it? You know, It's not out there, but it's not doing nothing. It's not all fun, but it's certainly not all pain. There's great joy to be had. I mean, once I'm at the beautiful mountain lake, would I turn around and go home? No way. But, so like that. Yeah, both. Please, Jeff. Also, those those hard parts. I just came out of a retreat, and, uh-huh. and, I, and in most of the sittings, I was I had pain the whole uh-huh. time, uh-huh. and it condensed down to one little one, and it actually became my friend. Uh-huh. And then I was it never went away. Uh-huh. My goal was to be in my body, and it definitely kept me there. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that was not how I had planned it at all. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. But I, and it, Condensed down to one little like the size of a, I don't know, a big golf ball, and it, and I just started calling up my little friend, and, <laughs> and it shifted. Shift, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Whereas that, the rest of the walking meditation, the other ones, it was just goal, you know, uh-huh. comfort. Uh-huh. Yeah, those things can sometimes bring a great deal of alertness to your practice. It can be, uh-huh. they can be truly a friend if you work with them that way. Uh-huh. The other side of it might be, this isn't for you, but the other side of it might be, sometimes there are pains that are indicative that you're actually hurting your body. And then you need to do something about it. So, again, it's one of those here, here, or somewhere in the middle, maybe. Yeah. Okay, let's stop. And let me make a few, very few announcements. Um... A week, two weeks from tonight, is our annual potluck, our holiday potluck dinner. So these are usually wonderful events. The food at Vipassana Santa Cruz is noted to be very good. <laughs> so, and you're responsible for it. So, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to gather at 5.30, and at 5.30, Marcy is going to teach us a short Qigong lesson for all the people who are here at 5.30. So, and it will be on relaxation for the holiday time and that kind of thing. And about 6 o'clock, Qigong will end, the tables will be brought forward, and the food will have collected over here, and we will eat. And so feel free to drift in at any point during that time, and you can probably drift right on into the Qigong class if you'd like. 
um, and then we'll eat, and then we'll have our sit, and and then what always happens is um, the food seems to keep coming because of course people are coming from work and whatnot, so the food comes in shifts as well. And usually there's eating that happens after the sitting and the Dharma talk as well as before. So if you miss out on the before, there is the after. But um, we would really like to encourage everybody to come. It's, it's a lot of fun, and usually we try to get as many people from the other sittings. And now, you know, since we have so many different classes, Bob has his classes on Monday night, and there's the beginner's class, and there's this class, and there's Tuesday noon, and Monday noon, and Friday noon, and Sundays. There's all these different groups that are happening here who don't know each other. So we're going to try to encourage people. It is child-friendly. We would love to have children. So if you will convey that to the family program, that would be great. Also, the family program is happening this Sunday. Would you like to say something about it? Um, Do you know anything? I have the flyer. I don't have an address or anything in my head, but um, every other month we um, try to do an activity out in the community, some sort of community service or volunteer work. And this coming uh, Sunday... We will be at La Posada Retirement Home. Ah, uh, yes. And on Frederick Street. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's and not on the flyer, actually. We'll meet there at 10.30, mm-hmm. and um, anyone's welcome. We'll be putting on a little skit from a book we read last month, and um, doing some songs and some some, uh, some movement. And okay. then... Uh, Kids are asked in advance to bring a handful of drawings and things that they've done to hand out to people, and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, then we maybe play some games. Great. So, be fun. so there's flyers over there on the table, and people with and without children are welcome. Is this true? Yes. Uh, or grandchildren, probably, or yeah. nieces and nephews, or neighborhood kids that you just pick up yeah. and <laughs> bring along. <laughs> Rent a kid, right. And then, last but not least, tomorrow night. Oh my goodness, tomorrow night. So tomorrow night we're having the next installment of our Buddhist teacher series, um, which is a series of talks that we're having with different teachers from different Buddhist lineages here in Santa Cruz. And um, so a few weeks ago we had uh, Venerable Tenzin Choki from Land of Medicine Buddha, our Tibetan nun friend, and tomorrow night we have um, Daijaku Kinst and Shinsu Roberts, who are Zen priests from a place, a new Zen center called the Ocean Gate Zen Center on 41st Avenue. And um, so they'll be with us at 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. They'll give a talk, some about their own form of practice, and follow it with a little bit of guided practice, and then a lot of time for questions and answers, compare and contrast. You know, some of you I know have done Zen practice. Some of you might be interested to hear about it. So um, these are two really interesting women who come originally or before this from the San Francisco Zen Center. Um, so they'll be with us. And we're actually having quite a streak of Zen teachers for a while because they'll be followed in January by Catherine Thanis, who's the abbot of the Zen Center of Santa Cruz, where we used to sit. And then in February with Carolyn Atkinson, who um, actually used to sit with us on and now has her own center down on New Street. So um, all of those things are happening. But um, I'm really hoping that we'll get some people here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock to hear Daijaku and Shinsu and hear what they have to say and, and kind of celebrate. You know, it's, it's really remarkable. You might notice that all of these teachers are women. 
Shanta Cruz has an extraordinary number of women Buddhist teachers. It seems a little strange to me. It's like, what is this that's happening or not happening here? But it's also really great. Um, so um, we're not having a man, I think, until later on, maybe in March. John Landa <laughs> is finally going to come and be with us. So um, please come and... and begin to get a sense of the kind of wealth of teachings that's available to us in this community. Okay, other announcements. I know we have some Tibetan nuns calendars back there, so why don't we hear that one? Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, I have the Tibetan nuns calendar, which is part of the Tibetan nuns project. Um, Especially, I think, this year they're going to be... um, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.